word with you. But before we begin, let us speak with our God and ask for his assistance. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that being your word, it is powerful and true. We thank you that we can trust it and that we know that what it says is right and correct. We come to this passage this morning from John's Gospel that is so profound. It says so many things that our minds just cannot fully comprehend. But we pray this morning that we may humble ourselves before you and recognise that your word is uh, so powerful and that we uh, need to recognise that you are an infinite God and we are just finite beings and we pray that you will help us to understand you and who you are and that we may become stronger in the faith for it. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well we are coming up to Christmas. I think everyone's fully aware of that and we're One thing we expect at Christmas is, of course, Christmas presents, isn't it? But my question this morning is, have you ever valued a Christmas present that you've had in the past more because of who gave it to you, because of the origin of that present? I remember the first uh, Christmas that Jill and I spent uh, when we'd been dating for a couple of months. We started dating in September and so we had our first Christmas together. And I remember one of the Christmas presents that she gave me was a Nintendo video game. And I was quite touched by that. I was uh, quite pleased because it meant, of course, that she had paid attention to what I liked, that I like Nintendo and that I like video games. And she'd bought me one that involved shooting and I generally like shooting video games. And so it meant that she hadn't just paid attention to that I like Nintendo, that I like shooting games. And then, of course, Nintendo games aren't particularly cheap and so we'd only been dating a short time but she'd spent a large amount of money by buying me this game and a couple of other presents. And so it was quite touching that she'd bought this for me. But the thing was that when it comes to Nintendo games, I'm not one of these people who buys stacks of different games and tries them and and then discards them. I used to pay very particular attention to them. I used to read reviews in magazines and maybe even try and play it beforehand to see what it was like. And I'd be very careful about what I bought and when I unwrapped it I recognised it as one game that hadn't got good reviews and it wasn't going to probably be particularly good and when I played it it wasn't all that crash hot but I tried to play it more based on who had given it to me. I valued the present more than if I'd bought it myself for myself. I valued it much more and I tried to play it, I tried to enjoy it and tried to give her good feedback on this present and how much I liked it. And I think that's true with many gifts that we receive. We've probably got gifts at home that we, aren't, we don't want to throw out, even though we may not use them, based on who gave them to us. And so origins of presents are very important. They're something that we, we value quite a lot. And it is the same, I think, with Jesus Christ. We are told in the Bible that Jesus Christ is a gift to the world. He is God's gift to the world, to mankind. But then we have to ask about the origins of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? Where did he come from? What is he? We ask questions about this present that has been given us and that is quite natural. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning is the origins of Jesus Christ. And there's three origins that John deals with in his Gospel that I want to look at this morning in particular. And they're the origins of time, the origins of substance and the origin of... uh, Location, origin of location. So we've got origin of time, origin of substance and origin of location. So we've really got a question of when, what and where. So we're asking these questions of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? He's been given to us, but what is Jesus Christ? 
when did Jesus Christ first originate and, what, uh, and, and where did he come from, origin of location. So that's what we're going to look at this morning and so if you've got a Bible in front of you, that'd be really good. I'm not one of these preachers who uh, I think you gathered by now that reads the passage, shuts the Bible and goes for it. Uh, we'll work through the passage together so it'd be good if, uh, if you can have one in front of you. Open up to John chapter 1 and we'll be staying in this passage today. John chapter 1. So my first main point then is the origin of time. When did Jesus originate? When did Jesus first come into being? Origin of time is very important for us, isn't it? Particularly when it relates to people. We care about when people came into existence, don't we? And that's what we have birthdays for. And we remember people's birthdays and we remember how many years it's been since they came into the world. As we get a bit older, I think we start to minimise how many years it is. But when we're younger, we're, oh, I'm four, you know, how exciting. We remember birthdays. We remember when we first came into being. And so it's natural for us to ask a question of Jesus Christ. He's a person. When did he come into being? When did he come into being? When was his birthday? And John tries to start off his gospel by referring to that. And each of the gospel writers, we've got four gospels about Jesus Christ, four accounts of him, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and each of them has to start somewhere. They have to start with some sort of beginning. When do you start uh, the beginning of your account of Jesus Christ? And so Matthew goes from Jesus' human origin, from his family tree. He goes from Abraham. He starts off there. So he goes down from Abraham. Uh, Luke starts off from Jesus' birth, so Jesus' birthday, the, what we often read at Christmas time. Uh, Mark goes from Jesus' baptism, so that's the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, when he, he starts his ministry here on earth. Uh, so he goes from the baptism. But John, where does John begin? Well, he goes back to when did Jesus actually begin? When was Jesus beginning? And he starts it off in verse 1. He, he hits it straight up. Verse 1, in the beginning was the word. John's dealing with Jesus' origin of time from the very start of his Gospel. In the beginning was the Word. Now John here is calling Jesus Christ the Word. Now how, uh, how we know that is uh, a clue is given to us in verse 14. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So from that verse we can tell that there's no one else that John is talking about so it has to be Jesus Christ and I'll deal with what, uh, why he calls him the Word a little bit later on. But from the, when we come to this question of time, when did Jesus begin, it says in the beginning was the Word, in the beginning was Jesus Christ. So when did Jesus begin? When was his beginning? Well, we're reminded there in verse 1 of the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And John is choosing to begin his gospel very much in a similar vein. But there's an important difference. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning God. So it starts at the beginning of creation. God's there in the beginning and it's starting off with creation. But here, how does it read? In the beginning was. Not in the beginning God, in the beginning was. So he's going back before creation, before the creation of the world and saying what was there before the creation of the world? Something was already existing. What was already existing? Well, it was the Word. It was Jesus Christ. It's past tense there. He was there before the creation of the world. And so he has always been. He's been there before time began for us. And so what is Jesus' beginning? Well, his beginning is infinite. It's eternal. He has always been. He wasn't created at some point. The Word was already there in the beginning. So, Jesus' origin of time? It's infinite. It's eternal. Second main point is origin of substance. What is Jesus' origin of substance? What is Jesus? 
And we do this with anything that we're confronted, don't we? We try to work out what it is. Is it animal, vegetable or mineral? We try and fathom what is this that's in front of us, what we're comprehending with our eyes and our senses. What is this? What is Jesus? Well, Jesus is two things. John tells us what Jesus is and he tells us that Jesus is two things. Verse 1, In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was what? What was the Word? The Word was God. John tells us that Jesus must be God and he tells us quite plainly, he tells us in a cup, not just there in verse 1, he tells us uh, in verse 18 as well. He says in verse 18, No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. It's a little hard to get your head around that verse because it says God, but it actually represents two gods there. No one has ever seen God, God the Father, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side. So another God who is at the Father's side has made him known. And so that must be a God as well. So Jesus has to be God. God the one and only who is at the Father's side. Now there is, if you've got a King James Version, you'll notice that it actually says Son there instead of God. So verse 18 it says no one has ever seen God but uh, the only begotten Son. And the NIV notes that if you follow the footnote down to letter E, it says some manuscripts but the, um, have but the only or only begotten Son. But it's more reliable manuscripts going closer back to the time of Jesus Christ have God there and it's more logical that the word would be God there and that a scribe accidentally puts Son. When you've got the phrase only begotten God, you're more likely to think only begotten Son. So uh, we can use that as a proof text here in verse 18 that John is calling Jesus God. So what is Jesus? He is God. But is that the only thing? I mean, he states it very obviously there, but some people still like to deny Jesus' divinity. There's a few other clues that Jesus is God in the, in the passage itself. We've got, of course, that Jesus is eternal. We've established that from, uh, from the first main point, the origin of time. Jesus is eternal. God is eternal. Therefore, Jesus must be God. So because of his eternal nature, he has to be God as well. He's also God because of the way he's called the Word by, by John. Why is he calling the Word? Well, part of the reason could be that within Greek philosophy of the time, the, non-Gentile, uh, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, that they had started to call reason and logic the Word. So it was this governing force that is meant to be a, a controlling everything in the world, reason, and so they started to call it the Word. The, the Greek word is logos. So they kept calling it the Logos. And so John is kind of appealing to the Gentiles here. This, this presence that you see, reason and logic controlling the world, it's actually Jesus Christ. And so he's making a bit of an appeal to them. But I think the main force of his argument is by appealing to the Jews because they had started to call God, the God of the Old Testament, the Logos, the Word. They started to refer to him as the Word. And we know this from uh, Jewish writing. So instead of calling God by his real name, the name that is presented in the Old Testament, Yahweh, they were really scared of pronouncing that name and so they used to substitute other names in because they didn't want to break the third commandment, you know, that you should not uh, dishonour the Lord's name, take the Lord's name in vain. So they started to substitute other words in and one of the, ways that they, uh, one of the words that they substituted in was Logos, the Word. And so they started to refer to God as the Word and that made sense because 
the way that God interacts with the Jews in the Old Testament all the time is by speaking. The word comes, the word comes, the word comes to, to the people. And so they started to call God the word. And so by saying in the beginning was the word and calling Jesus the word, he's actually calling Jesus God in one sense. He's appealing to those Jews who refer to God as the word. But there's another clue that Jesus is called God and that is by what Jesus does. And we see that in verse 3. Verse 3, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. John is calling Jesus there the creator of the world. Who created the world in the Old Testament? God created the world. So therefore Jesus must be God as well because it's so clear. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He states it positively, through him all things were made, and then he goes negatively, just in case you didn't get the first statement, without him nothing was made that has been made. And this encourages that idea that we looked at with the first main point, that Jesus has always been. Uh, with Jehovah's Witnesses, when they come round to the door, they may show you their Bible, and it says in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. They deny Jesus' divinity. They deny that Jesus was God. And they'll have that translation there. And it's a bit hard to battle with them because you've got two different translations and it's a case of, oh, well, who translated the Greek correctly? Well, take them down to verse 3 because that says that Jesus must have always existed before, before anything came because it says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus exists. And everything that has existed has been made through him. He is there before everything that has been made. So therefore he was never made. There was never a time when Jesus didn't exist. There was never a time when he was created because he is there creating everything that was made. If he is a made object, then he couldn't be creating himself. Through him all things were made. So Jesus must be God. He is the creator of the world and so he must be God. And then another clue that Jesus is God is down in verse 4. In verse 4 we see that Jesus gives spiritual life which is one of those things that God does. In him was life and that life was the light of men. We see in the Old Testament that God is the one who gives spiritual life. He is the one who invigorates us and gives us spiritual life. And here we see Jesus giving life. He's the one who gives spiritual life. How do we know that that word life there doesn't represent uh, physical life? Well, I think it makes uh, sense that it would be spiritual life based on the fact that physical life had been dealt with in verse 3, that God creates everything, and then he moves into spiritual life in verse 4. In him was the life, was life and that life was the light of men. It's to, doing, it's to do with light and to, with your mind and to understanding. And we see that in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. It is something that is spiritual life and so here we see Jesus as the one who gives spiritual life to people as well and therefore he must be God because it is the God of the Old Testament who is the one who gives spiritual life and to invigorate people. Okay, so Jesus must be God. That answers the question of substance, doesn't it? What is Jesus? We have this gift. What is he? He is God. Is that it? No, there's two things that Jesus is. Two things. He's also human and John tells us this as well. We have to jump down to verse 14, so moving away from the early verses to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is human as well. He became flesh. He wasn't always flesh. That word there became is in the past tense. Uh, as a, uh, it's an actual happening. It's something that happened. So he became flesh. He is fully human. So he's not just God. He is fully human as well. So how does that work out? We've got this uh, question, what is Jesus? And we're being told by John that Jesus is both God and he's both man. How does that work? How does that figure out? Well, I don't have an answer for you. I, it is a complete mystery how that figures out. We cannot comprehend with our minds how Jesus is both man and God at the same time. It is something that we've tried to grapple with through church history. People have come up with different theories and tried to understand it and tried to fit it together, but they always lose one of the biblical truths that is presented here, that Jesus is God and that he is man. There's a few different ways that people go. Some people swing right to one side and then they deny that Jesus is God and that's called Arianism, after a guy called Arius back in the 300s. And the modern uh, people today, of course, the Jehovah's Witnesses, who I mentioned earlier, they are people who deny that Jesus is God. So we've got Arians who go that way, then there's people who swing the other way and say he was never human, that God couldn't become flesh. It would be demeaning to him, so he couldn't be human. And that uh, it was very early on in Stocetism where they think that Jesus just appeared to be man. He wasn't actually man, he just appeared man. And so they go down into heresy that way. Then there's some people who suggest that Jesus was human in his body but he was divine in his mind. So he was able to think like God, he had a divine mind. And, but he had a human body and that is called Apollinarianism and, uh, and that's heresy as well because we don't see that in the Bible. We see him both fully man and fully God. Others have suggested that he is two persons uh, functioning together. So we've got a divine person within Jesus and we've got a human person functioning in Jesus so, and they come out at different times. So when you see Jesus doing his miracles, that's the divine Jesus working. Uh, but when you see uh, him at the cross suffering, that's the human Jesus there. But no, in the Bible we see that the both are there together and, we don't, and they're both experiencing things. We can't, we can't push the, the, them apart and try and divide up things through the Gospel saying this is the divine Jesus, this is the human Jesus. And, but people have suggested that and that's called Nestorianism. So these things are common. They're, they're views that have come up very early on and have continued through the ages. And then some have just suggested that Jesus' humanity, this is the last one that I'm going to give as an example of people denying the truth here, they say that uh, Jesus and his, his humanity and his divinity, they combined into making a sort of a third thing. And so they, uh, they, it's, it's not, he's not fully God and he's not fully human. He's this third something where they've kind of combined together. And so he's this third thing. So, but that doesn't, that's denied in the Bible as well because he is fully human. If he became this third thing, then he isn't someone, a full human that we can relate to and that, we can sympathize, and that he can sympathise with us when we're tempted. We have to acknowledge that he is fully human and fully God because that is how John describes him and that's how the rest of the Bible describes him. We can't try and fit him into something so our minds can understand and that, that's kind of a good thing that we recognise eventually that there's some things in the Bible we can't understand because that means that we do have an infinite God and that we are finite creatures and we are eventually going to butt our heads up against something that we cannot understand. Because if we could understand it, what does that mean? Well, that we'd be God ourselves. We'd be able to understand everything. 
And it's a good thing I'm not God and I can tell you because it's great that we have this God who is infinite over us and that we have to sometimes humble ourselves and recognise we can't understand everything in his scripture but what are we called to do? We're called to believe it and that is what we have to do. We just have to believe it. It's presented there in scripture. We say God somehow can reconcile it, somehow he can make it fit together but we just have to believe it and that's just wonderful. We come up to this wonderful God who is our loving Heavenly Father and just say, you can comprehend it. We're just children. We are your humble servants. So it's a bit of a humbling thing but we've just got to continue to affirm it that, God, uh, that Jesus is God and he's human as well. So that is my second main point on origin of substance. What is he originally? What is he? My third main point is origin of location. Where did Jesus originate? Where did he come from? And that's an important question that we ask of people when we meet them as well. Where did you come from? Who are your parents? What country were you born? If they've got a bit of an accent, we can kind of work out where they came from. And so it is with Jesus. He's a gift that's been given to us. Where did he come from? Where did he come from? Well, John tells us. He tells us he came from being with God, being with God the Father. In verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That's with God the Father. He is distinct there. But he tells us a couple of times that Jesus was with God. We see it in verse 2 as well. He repeats it. He was with God in the beginning. And then down in verse 14, where did Jesus come from? Origin of location. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came, where did he come from? Origin of location. Who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And last one is in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, that's Jesus Christ, who is at the Father's side. The King James translation says, at the Father's bosom, a close, intimate relationship with God. So here we have Jesus coming from God. And this, of course, then means that Jesus is distinct from God the Father. And this is... This is something that we can't wrap our heads around as well. So this morning you're getting a a double hit here of things that we can't wrap our heads around. One is that Jesus is fully human and fully God. second one is what leads us to the doctrine of the Trinity, that there are three persons within the Godhead and that they are all God. And it has to be there. People say, oh, the Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible, so it can't be true. And the Jehovah's Witnesses will deny the Trinity. But it has to be there. We simply have the word Trinity there to try and comprehend what is presented to us plainly in Scripture. How else do you understand John 1.1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's God, but he's with God. How can someone be God but with God? We can't understand it, but we, we, we work out that there is God the Father, there is God the Holy Spirit, there is God the Son, they are all God, but they're distinct persons and we simply have to affirm it. We, can't, we may not find the word Trinity there, but the, what the Trinity actually explains, that word that we use Trinity for, the doctrine, it clearly says it in Scripture that there are distinct persons within the Godhead, but none of them is less than God. They are all God themselves. And so we just have to believe it just like Uh, we do with the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus. We have to believe that Jesus is God, the Father is God, the Spirit is God, that they're all together, but they are distinct persons and they are all God. 
Okay, so we've got three origins here, and that's what I wanted to talk about this morning. So we've got the origin of time. When did Jesus originate? What is the answer? Well, he's eternal. Origin of substance? God and man. Origin of location? From the Father. He was there with the Father. So what is the purpose of discussing all these origins? We've gone through some pretty heavy doctrine there. What is the purpose of discussing all these origins? Well, I'm actually, uh, this is the beginning of a series on John's Gospel. I didn't just pick this passage for today because it's leading up to Christmas. Uh, Since I am, what did John call me, a pastor-elect, when I begin here on the 4th, I will continue the series on uh, John's Gospel. So this is the beginning of a series. And it will be good for us to recognise what is the purpose of John's Gospel, to understand this passage that we've looked at this morning and all these origins. Why did John include this about Jesus Christ? Why did John include it? Why did he write his Gospel at all? Why is the John's Gospel there? Well, this is one of those books of the Bible where he actually tells us, the author actually tells us why he wrote the book. And it's there in chapter 20, verse 31. If you've got a Bible there, flick over to chapter 20, verse 31. Why did John write the Gospel and why did he talk about these origins of Jesus Christ? Verse 31. And he begins, but these, and that's referring to miracles, and, but we can take it to refer to the whole of the book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He wrote this book for two reasons. Did you catch them? The first is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And the second reason, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is why John wrote his Gospel and that's why he's so careful to deal with Jesus' origins at the beginning. Because Jesus' origins, answering those questions about Jesus' origins, answers the first part of the purpose, doesn't it? What's the first purpose? But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Origins are important. If you misunderstand the origins of someone, you're believing in a different person. You can believe that there is a Joel Radford who was born in Queensland in January 1980 and he was born a human there. It says it all on my birth certificate. But if you talk to someone and say, oh, do you know Joel Radford who was born in England in 1954 as a, it was a puppy dog? You know, you'd say, oh, no, 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 different Joel Radford. Same name, different Joel Radford. And so it is with Jesus Christ. Lots of people believe in Jesus Christ. But do they believe in the Jesus Christ presented to us in Scripture? Because if you deny any of those propositions that we've seen of eternity, of his substance, that he is God and human, if you deny that he is with the Father there, you're believing in a different Jesus Christ. And so you may as well not be believing in any Jesus Christ. You're not believing in the Jesus Christ of the Bible. And so you end up like one of the many cults that are around, that like the Jehovah's Witnesses. That's why we don't call the Jehovah's Witnesses brothers and sisters in Christ because they're believing in a different Jesus Christ. They may say they believe in Jehovah and that is the, the name that we sometimes transliterate for the Old Testament for the name of God. And so we have songs, Jehovah Jireh, My Provider, those kinds of things. They've got the name right, but they're believing in a fundamentally different God. They're believing in a totally different God. And so they're not believing in the God of the Bible. And if you don't believe in the God of the Bible then what do you lose? What is the second purpose of John's Gospel? It says there in verse 31, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the member of the Trinity, called the Son, 
and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you don't believe in Jesus correctly, the Jesus of the Bible, you believe in some other Jesus that you make up, what don't you have? You aren't believing so that you may have life in his name. You don't have life in his name if you believe in a different Jesus Christ, the one not presented in the Bible. Now that's not to scare you to think that, oh, I've got to try and get a, a, I've got to be able to give an exam answer on the Trinity if I'm going to be a Christian. No, we, we just come to the Bible and we believe in Jesus as he's presented there. And so it is one of those things that if you come across someone who denies the divinity of Jesus, well then you know that they really aren't a Christian. It's when you come to them and they say, and there can be a very new Christian and say, I believe in God. If they truly do believe God and have it in their hearts, they have the Holy Spirit in there, the Holy Spirit would never lead them to deny the divinity of Jesus Christ or to deny his eternal existence. We've got to be careful about thinking that there's some sort of exam to get into being a Christian. Sometimes we come and all we can understand, some people, their mental capacity can just comprehend Jesus Christ and know that he died for them and they believe in him and they can't tell you a, a good answer to all the, the Trinity and, and the substance and three persons and, and know the word Trinity. No, it's not necessarily that, but we have to believe in Jesus Christ as he is presented in the Bible. And so we have to keep going back to the Bible and saying who is Jesus Christ? He's the one presented in the Bible and we know from John's Gospel that he's quite clear that Jesus is divine, he's human, he's eternal and he's part of that Trinity and then we have life in his name. So do you deny that Jesus is eternal? Do you deny that Jesus is eternal? Then John is clear, you do not have life in his name, you're denying the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Do you deny that Jesus is God? If you do, you're denying the Jesus Christ of the Bible and you do not have life in his name. Do you deny that Jesus is human? If you do, you're denying the Jesus Christ of the Bible and you do not have life in his name. Do you deny that Jesus Christ came from the Father? If you do, you're denying the Jesus Christ of the Bible and you do not have life in his name. I trust that all of us believe in Jesus Christ of the Bible so that we may have life in his name. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did send Jesus Christ into the world, that he did become flesh and dwell among us so that he could suffer and die on the cross for our sins. We thank you that we do not have to comprehend how he can be man and God, how can he be a part of the Trinity, part in relationship with yourself but fully God. We do not have to understand that. All we have to do is believe it because it is presented in your word so clearly. We pray that we will not have hard hearts and try and be proud in our minds and think that we can understand it, but that we'll humble ourselves before you and simply trust that it is true because you have told us so. And we pray that we may continue to affirm these truths all our lives and share them with others. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.